If a Middle Earth elf lived today in Southern California, how would she celebrate and support the arts, music, and her community? What would Arwen do? Thursdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with me, Tani Tanuvio, on KUCI 88.9 FM and streaming live at KUCI.org. Ellen Salalumin Amentielva. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer. And your host is Murray Frank. If you don't know Murray, she's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, and she sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection. She's also a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV, Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, lots of other shows. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening. You know, we, Lloyd, we've had so many wonderful opportunities to meet with the people from the Poneman Institute. Larry Poneman's been on our show several times, Susan Jason. We even interviewed Larry and Susan in a teepee in New Mexico. Yes, we did. And we are so thrilled because they have now hired a brand new director of programs, and she is one wonderful, fabulous lady. And we're going to be interviewing her tonight and actually get to meet her very soon in Traverse City, Michigan. So let me introduce Shirley Durham. She is the Director of Programs and Special Projects for the Poneman Institute. The Poneman Institute, for those of people who haven't heard Larry before and haven't known much about it, I am thrilled and honored to be a research fellow for the Poneman Institute. It is a think tank dedicated to advancing privacy and data protection practices, and it's located in beautiful Traverse City, Michigan, and they were thrilled to get Shirley to join them after she retired from the Ford Motor Company with more than 30 years of service, and she held a variety of management positions, including director of, of Ford's Corporate Privacy Office. As director of Ford's Corporate Privacy Office, she was responsible for providing strategic direction globally for Ford. And she was in charge of many of the new initiatives, and she oversaw the development of privacy policies related to personal information. And she provided assistance to operations to meet legal and corporate compliance requirements, and she delivered optimal business solutions. Shirley also coordinated the Corporate Privacy Steering Committee, which provided executive oversight on privacy matters. Most recently, she served as Executive Director of Ford Motor Company Fund, which is Ford's charitable giving arm. She served on various not-for-profits and business advisory boards and committee, and she's a member of the International Association of Privacy Professionals 
and she recently became a certified information privacy professional too and took that really tough test, but she's terrific. We are so thrilled that she's joining us all the way from Michigan, and thank you. Are you there, Shirley? I'm absolutely here. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. I don't know if I can promise as a fun time as being in a teepee and, <laughs> uh, for what an experience to be for an interview. Yeah, it, it was really fun. It was a little bit strange with some of the reverberation sounds, but it, it was really a thrill. So, you were director of Ford Motor Company's privacy office. Tell us a little bit more about those responsibilities, and that was, you know, you were one of the pioneers. Yeah, it was, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, in some ways my responsibilities were fairly typical for most privacy leaders in a company. You give directions not only to the, the, the company, to the staffs, but we have brands, you know, vehicle brands. We have operating uh, entities. Um, and I gave, you know, strategic direction to them on various privacy and data protection initiatives. And a lot of my work was about meeting the operations are responsible for meeting uh, or being compliant with law and policy. Uh, that's the way most companies, I think, are set up. So the operating entity has these requirements, but they need tools, and they need to help understand their risk areas, and they need help sometimes developing solutions or common solutions uh, that my office then would help them do. So sometimes it might have been developing a new tool or a new control, sometimes a new policy or a new, a new procedure, for example. Um, I was also managed the development of, our, I, I believe, the first corporate consumer privacy policy that we had in the company. And uh, along with our legal office, I uh, helped develop our basic privacy employee training and awareness program. Wow. So you had to interface with marketing, with the legal department, with yes. new development. Mm -hmm. Boy, you had 50 million hats you had to wear. Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> I think that's very typical um, of most privacy offices in a large company that's, you know, multinational, global, um, and that has different types of, you know, you're manufacturing, but you sell it. You, de you develop products, and uh, you have lots of customers and potential customers and employees. Right. So it must have been tough because you had to deal with the European Union, and Ford sells uh, their products all over the world, don't they? Yeah, they pretty, yeah we do, and we have uh, operations in pretty much every major uh, company or country. And uh, Trying to keep up with all of those laws and policies and procedures must have been a huge <laughs> challenge. Well, we, we, luckily for us, we had some great legal staff and other people who helped me. <laughs> I can't, you cannot do it alone. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the first person you make friends with when you're the privacy office uh, is the uh, legal staff. <laughs> right. Unfortunate, but true. Right. And, and there's, the, you know, there's the compliance issues, but also there is the, the value added when you're working with marketing and trying to you know, talk them into it, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they're the ones who interface directly with the customer. You know, that, that their call centers, for example, are the first place that, that you, a lot of times, you'll, you know, customers come to you with concerns. Now, the auto industry is a little bit different in that we have dealers as well, and so there's dealers who are independent businessmen who control their own businesses. But um, it certainly um, is interesting that to work with marketing who brings such a, a dynamic, uh, changing world. They're always moving, and they're always, you know, looking for new ways to get new customers. I mean, right. it's what they do. And it must have been kind of tough, though, too, also because you said you have dealers who are who are affiliated, but they're they're pretty much independent as well, aren't they? Yes, they 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 are independent. 
And so how how would you deal with privacy policies with them? They just had to follow your privacy policies or No, they can have I mean they are totally independent businessmen. You can, you know, suggest that here's here's a lot of our uh we had our own policies and we had uh different practices, you know, depending on where you were at, but really they are independent business people. Right, right. So they they could develop their own privacy practices, but I would. I wondered about that. You know, when they're the, they're like franchises, right? Or are they considered franchises? Aren't they? Um, they're most like the franchise model that most people think of. You know, yes. do a franchise. Uh huh. Uh huh. And they. But it's a little bit different because there's a lot of state laws regarding you know right. franchised dealers. Right. Right. So that must have been something. I mean, it sounds. Now, how many people were you in, in your privacy department? Um, we had direct report. Well, let's see. About. Four direct at the time I was there, but we also had, um, let's say, staff that we we borrowed. <laughs> they weren't my direct reports, but they directly worked on this, and we worked as a team. Right. Even though they sat in another functional area. Now, when um, did they start having a privacy officer? Were you one of the first, or was um, I was the second director of the office. Mm-hmm. And it had, uh, the first one had actually changed positions fairly quickly, so I was, I was pretty much the one that helped develop a lot of the stuff. Sh- uh, another uh, one of our attorneys held the position initially, but then moved on to another position fairly quickly. Something like I think I want to say four months after she started. Right. So when so, was this? When did they basically start their privacy office? Oh, now you're going to make me go back and, and think about how old I am. <laughs> well, don't don't think how old you are, but I'm just thinking, you know, a lot of uh, corporations still don't have privacy offices. So I think the fact that Ford was out there with a privacy office is, is really commendable. Yeah, I want to say it was five or six years ago, but I, I'll be honest, I'm getting <laughs> right, <laughs> my so, uh, retained memory of, of how long things were. Right. It's pretty bad. No, but I think that's great because, you know, this is a fairly new field of privacy officers. And when I when I talk to people about privacy officer or even when I was back in law school, you know, 25 years ago, uh, we didn't, uh, our privacy uh, courses didn't include information privacy. It all was on defamation and Oh, you know the the usual false light, those kinds of things. We really uh-huh. didn't discuss the information privacy that has become a whole new field in the information age. So, it is commendable that Ford is doing this, and I'm always recommending to companies that they hire a, a privacy professional to have a privacy office instead of just designating somebody in their law office to deal with this. You really need to to have some more training, like you have. You had a lot of on-the-job training before there was even the, the certified information privacy professional. In, right. Well, uh, I actually started in privacy when I was director of our public policy office. And w- that was, you know, pre-GLB. It was back when it was a, 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 Late, a uh, policy issue. Like b- b- before 1999 then, because that right. was when Graham and, and H. Blylett, yeah. Right, and I was uh, director of a, uh, the Global Public Policy Office, which dealt with all policies, including consumer-related policies and environmental policy and safety policy. And that was my first exposure to privacy as, as a, you know, a topic of interest. Right. Um, and so that's where uh, I initially was, I w- that's what I was doing. And so I learned about it from a policy perspective. Kind of went in the back door and came out the front door. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, an interesting path uh, that I ended up uh, working in privacy, but yes. It, it's a fascinating area. What do you think about the privacy as, as, as actually a profession? 
You know, I, I think it has been one of the most rewarding and fascinating, like I would say, career paths that I've ever pursued. Um, I think it is a much-needed profession, and I think it's going to continue to grow. And it's kind of interesting because looking at all the jobs that I've had, and I've had a lot. I've, be, I've been in a lot of areas in the company, including finance, um, in, in governmental affairs, you know, public policy, uh, doing our foundation work. But that privacy has a fairly unique role, I think, in a company. It's, you're inside and outside focused. You know, you might be working, for example, on an employee education program or developing internal controls with your accountants or your accounting and your audit teams. Or you might be analyzing legislation and regulations and saying, how is this going to impact us? How do we, how, what is that going to mean to our operations? What are we going to have to change? Or you might be working with external stakeholders or benchmarking other companies. You have an, in, an inside and an outside job. Right. And that makes it pretty unique, I think, in most, uh, as, a, as a career or as a career path. Right, right. Now, um, did did you have any legal background too, or or no? No, I didn't. But again, working in the uh, policy office, we spent so much time uh, <laughs> you reading. <laughs> yeah, you should have gotten your degree anyway. Uh, yeah, believe me. Uh, some days it seems like uh, you know uh, we <laughs> wrote testimony and we did bill analysis and the whole bit. Uh, so it was uh, it's a it's a interesting area. But after you've read. Uh, some of the you know legislation which can be lengthy yes 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 and <laughs> yes, try and understand it which nobody can understand right exactly and, and though we have a wonderful legal staff had a wonderful legal staff and we work quite a bit together uh you do pick up quite a bit um but and, uh i'm and, not an actual attorney right and did the legal department who who did they report to i mean not the legal department i'm sorry the privacy office did you have a direct line to the top management like the ceo or did you who did you report to? We reported, uh, and it's changed a couple. Of, you know, it changed a couple of times, but uh, basically through a group vice president who reported up to the the CEO. Uh, it was kind of a corporate affairs group that had other, like the the governmental affairs entity, for example, uh-huh. would report through them. Uh, we were a staff. We were considered a staff, and that's that. That was the way we would go through his corporate, through the corporate affairs chain. Yeah. If you it, now looking back that you're retired and now you're doing uh, consulting work. What do you think would be the, you know, after all the years that you worked in that and saw all of the different angles, what do you, what place should uh, the privacy office be? Uh, should it be reporting to legal? Should it be reporting to the CEO? Uh, what what best place would it be? Do you think? Well, I mean, there's a lot of um, benefits if you could work directly for the CEO, but. CEOs that run large, large companies, it's, it's difficult to get their time. Right. Uh, so I think I liked, I liked where we were uh, because the groups that do a lot of external face as well, you know, in, in this case, uh, like governmental affairs is an external facing group, for example, um, I thought it worked well to be in a group similar, you know, that, that had that kind of uh, external look as well as an internal look. It, I'm not sure that there's one good place for it. I guess it depends on your company structure. Right. Um, legal, my biggest concern about that is that it turns, you don't want it to be just legal. Oh, it's just compliance. Right. You don't want it to be just compliance. Then everybody's you know? afraid of you. <laughs> right. And, and if it just becomes just compliance, it's, oh, the legal requirement. You want it to be more than the legal requirement. You right. want, you know, you want a privacy um you know, you want it to pervade your whole enterprise, and you want it to be people to actively think about it and want to do it for the right reasons, not just because, oh, 
well, you know, it's legal like everything else. And Right, it's a value do. added. It yeah, and that would be my biggest concern was when you put it in legal, it, it sure. might be uh, just, just another legal thing. Right, right, especially if you're going to be dealing with marketing and, and other aspects and HR, you know, want them to know that they can come to you, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of students. We're sitting here at the University of California, Irvine, and what advice would you give to students who may be considering this as a profession, privacy as a, as a profession? Well, I think, you know, it's probably, as they say, an old chestnut, but I think it's still true. Is this, it's, it's all about interpersonal skills. It's, it's an absolute must because a lot of what you have to do is persuade other people within the company to do something you want them to do. Uh, most privacy offices don't have a huge budget <laughs> with, you know, vast amounts of money that, that are at their beck and call. Uh, so you might need to persuade someone else to do something for you uh, or to do it for the good of the whole. And a lot of times that comes with, I want to call it personal power. It isn't about the power that comes with your job, that, you know, it's your title and you have power because that's your job. Yeah. It's about people knowing you have integrity and knowledge, that you're the subject matter expert. And when you come to them and ask them for something, you're not doing it for a frivolous reason or that they will listen to you. And I think that gets down to interpersonal skills at its basic. you got to be a good communicator Absolutely. And, and a good persuader mm-hmm. and probably a good mediator because if you have, you know, if you got to be mediating certain compliance issues with the marketing department, I think you have to be a great <laughs> mediator, right? Actually, that yeah, great, and a mediator and an educator. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're like this this all rolled into one, a little bit of a legal counselor, a little bit of an educator, a little bit of a salesperson, a little bit of an employee advocate, a little bit of a tech. Huh? <laughs> a negotiator. And a, a negotiator. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, it's one of, like I said, it's a, it's an interesting job, um, and th- all those things you will uh, experience at some time in a career if you're working in a privacy office. And it, and they also need to understand key business processes. they got to have some background to understand marketing and HR. Um, you know, how basically laws and regulations are made and policies developed because that world is never ever it's ever changing i should say not never changing it's ever changing and those external factors affect what you do and uh so they need to take marketing they need to take they probably need to take uh, a a lot of communication courses Mm -hmm. and marketing and business courses so they have a a well-rounded position and then get into the privacy issues and I don't even know it you know to be honest with you and my my son is going to be starting his MBA at the University of Chicago in in uh, you know the end of the uh, summer and I'm wondering if they're going to be teaching him privacy classes I'll have to look into that That's a good I question. wonder if they are doing that what do you yeah I don't know I've heard some IT related you know more from the data security security side yeah correct uh, I, I understand there's some classes that are being taught like that but but privacy the business side the business process side and, and this the concept I, i'm assuming they're teaching the business concepts but whether they have a whole class or a, a career path for it I, I guess i really don't know either but i do know that you know that a well-rounded business background is is what's going to help you because you even need to know like basic finance and accounting because that's where auditing and internal controls those tools that are necessary for privacy are they you know their privacy or socks or anything that is all related and you need to know those concepts so yeah. that'd be my advice is that those uh, that's what I would look for 
Yeah, you have to have a be a jack of all trades. We're, mm-hmm. we're we're speaking right now with Shirley Durham, who is a certified information privacy professional, and she is the director of programs for the Poneman Institute and a privacy specialist, and a former privacy officer for Ford Motor Company. So she comes with such a wealth of information. We're so thrilled that she's here. You know, we're sitting here on the campus, but we are also right in the middle of Orange County, California. So people drive by from Newport Beach, a lot of business people. We also have right here in Elisa Viejo, we have like a a little mini Silicon Valley. So what would you say to small and medium-sized businesses? I know large businesses are already on board, but what would you say to them about having a privacy officer or what they should do about privacy? I think they should consider having someone, as you said, a privacy professional. Um, A lot of times they're not called CPOs anymore, your your privacy leaders or whatever. Uh, A lot of companies don't use the word officer unless you're a true officer uh, of the company. Um, What do they call them? Uh, sometimes they call them privacy leaders now. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, for, for example, Ford doesn't actually use the word officer, but and other companies don't. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot more of that actually. And I've seen some actually fairly creative titles. <laughs> um, <laughs> some but, titles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but privacy leader seems to be coming out as one of the ones um, a, uh, amongst the top that I've seen that are, that is not the CPO title. But Does that give I think enough credibility to the to the privacy officer to be a privacy leader. Um, it depends. I guess um, maybe uh, officer titles always, of course, get more attention outside. Right, right. And inside, I think most people know who does what, whatever your title is. And uh, I'm not sure that it, it, it might help externally. I'm not sure about internally. I guess it depends on your organization and how much the stripes count. Right. I'm thinking, like, there's so many senior vice president of privacy or yeah. something, you know, something that people can look at it and say, oh, this person has some credibility, this person has some influence, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's interesting. I'm still meeting chief privacy officers, you know, when we go to the International Association mm-hmm. of Privacy Professionals. I'm I'm still getting cards that say chief privacy officer or something like that but mm-hmm. um but it, it's interesting i'm just wondering if students when they might be thinking about new careers and if they're interested in information privacy you know what are what are their goals what are their aspirations and mm-hmm. well let's talk about then getting back to the uh, the business people and the recommendations that you have um for example you know, we you talk at the Poneman Institute quite a bit about re- responsible information management. Mm-hmm. Let's explain that to the uh, business people that are driving by. Sure. Um, responsible information management is really a process. It's about ensuring trust and confidence of the, your consumers and your employees about how your company conducts its business using their personal information. So it's basically pretty simple. You have to kind of align your stakeholder privacy preferences with your internal practices and your policies and your technologies. And there's a lot of aspects to it. I mean, there's things that include security and vendor management and um, education uh, assessments. Um, one area I find particularly very interesting is, is metrics. You know, how do you measure the progress of your privacy program, and are you achieving objectives, and are you getting better? Uh, are you moving forward? 
um, I think that particular area, maybe it's my, my finance background, uh, but I do think that uh, that area in particular is one that uh, a lot of companies haven't paid much attention to yet. Right. I know you led the, uh, the program at Ford. So what did you do? How did you set up your metrics management, uh, your metrics measurement group? Well, when I was, um, actually, this was interesting. Uh, uh, when Larry's uh, RIM Responsible Information Management Group, uh, he had asked me to help uh, lead a group that was developed a framework. And it, it's interesting because the framework was in some ways pretty simple, but it was intended to be used by a large number of companies, organizations, at any kind of stage along a maturity continuum. Because, as you said, there's some companies that are just starting out to develop the privacy programs right. and others that have very, very mature programs that they've been doing this for a long time. And so it, it ended up to be almost like you could Im- imagine a three-dimensional cube. On, on one side, we said, you know, what are the common elements that define a privacy and data protection program? And off the top of your head to say, well, you know, you've got assessment. What, what data do you have? What, what are the risks? What strategy do you want to pursue? Do you want to be a leader? you want to be a follower? you want to be among the pack? What, what is it that you want to achieve with your program? Uh, the third is policies. You know, what are you going to promise? Uh, what are you going to tell your consumers uh, about how you will do handle their data? And then finally, you get down to designing and executing your program and then providing oversight and control. So you have those elements of the program. The second side of this cube is really the what we call four major categories of data handling pr- decisions and practices. It's it's really off the fair information practices and the OECD. I mean, they're they're very similar, but so we grouped them into four categories: data protection and security is one, yes. preference management and disclosure was two, access and redress was three, and then third party sharing and onward movement was four. So then that was the second side that you had to, to consider with your metrics. And then the final side, then the third side, would be we had envisioned uh, two what we call levels of maturity to recognize that everyone is not on the same page, that maybe there's a baseline and maybe there's an intensified level. So like two levels that, that you would be able to choose metrics from. And you would have then basically 10 to 12 metrics for each of the categories I mentioned previously and two levels of maturity. And they were basically framed as did you consider questions rather than hard and fast specific levels. Um, So it would be like, you know, uh, for example, do you have, it's sort of like a proof of existence. Do you have a basic inventory of your data, your hardware, your software? Or if you've got like, yeah, everybody has that, but what do you do with it? Or how do you update it? Or do you just go through a very difficult time-consuming, once a year, once every few years, huge inventory? Or do you have some formalized process to routinely update that inventory? You're going to get a better answer if you have some means to routinely update it rather than go back through the very difficult and painful process of of doing a complete and total inventory of every single thing. Uh, You're more likely to have a a better inventory, for example. Mm So. So you might have a baseline metric, you know, saying, do you have a contract with your vendors that include privacy and data protection requirements? Okay, yeah, got that. Everybody's got that. Right. Well, how do you know that they're complying with your policies? Right, right. <laughs> okay, you got the legal stuff. Now, what about the rest of it? How do, you, how do you measure that and how do you know that? So that's the kind of way the framework was set up. And, and so that each you can company use can use it like a, almost like a privacy audit. It's almost like a checklist, right. and, and it says that, you know, 
um, you you could put in your own specific metrics about, like education is a classic, and say, okay, we intend to educate. Uh, our education is going to reach, you know, 100% of the company. Well, does anybody really reach 100% of the company? Fine, you've got a metric. You could that certainly you can uh, uh, shoot to achieve. And then, and then you go from there and say, how, how right. do we get there? Right, and how do you get there? And then, uh, so there's specifics you could put in yourself, but, but the uh, model actually was intended to, to help companies get themselves there right. with their own specific, um, whatever specific metric levels they would want to get. So when you developed this metric, and um, I know you were the, the very first uh, member of the Poneman Institute's RIM management group, so, so you were the... The fearless leader on that too. Um, uh, so, so how do company? How are companies using this right now? I mean, can you give some examples of not names of companies, but what? How are they really using it? Are they sitting down during times when they're supposed to do their budgeting or doing their objectives? How, how are they really using it? You mean measurements and metrics? Yeah, I mean, if they have this framework that I they... I think a lot of people are doing it. When, they, when you set up, uh, I know at least one company that does it this way, is, is when you're looking to develop your personal objectives, your office objectives for the next year, say you're doing it in third or fourth quarter of the prior year, for example, uh, maybe even earlier, where you're looking at how much resources do you need? You know, right. what are you going to go in and ask the, the boss for? Um, when you're doing that, if you had your list of metrics that you would say, I've got... I don't know, a dozen, no more than 20 or, I mean, 20 would be a lot, but 12 to 20 or whatever you have, you'd say, I want to achieve next year this and this. Two years from now, I want to be achieving this. You could almost do it like a business plan. There's some things that are going to take me longer to get to or that I need to work on now, but I'll eventually get there. So once you set those up and say the prior quarter, last half of the prior year, and you get agreement through whatever, if you have a steering committee or senior management or even a budget committee, however that is, and saying, here's the, the resources I need to go with achieving those objectives. And this is the metric I'm going to measure. And then each individual person, of course, can have their piece of that metric that they have to deliver that will be on their own personal performance review. Right. And so now, that's does easy. everybody in the company or does every major category, like maybe the marketing department, are they they're one aspect of this uh, framework and HR is another aspect of the framework? Or does everybody have the same framework and then choose those objectives within their own uh, organi- um, part of the organization? Uh, so far, I've seen it mostly done uh, from a central basis through, like, a privacy office or something who's, like, leading the charge. I see. And that they say, uh, we we need certain things that we have to do. And usually, almost everybody I've talked to, a lot of them have privacy teams, where they're cross-functional teams. I that see. IT is there, legal is there, marketing is there. Uh, sometimes they develop common objectives and other times there might be a specific one that's just for that group only I, that little that's kind of all over the map in terms of how people handle that right because i would think that the, so the privacy office is probably the core that that reaches out to the other departments to help them right. implement these privacy policies because i would think especially now when you're talking about security breaches and uh within hr Right. Well, we've heard about so many uh-huh. aspects of that, that they are going to have to be right on top of it with regard to privacy with their employees. So I would think 
you know, you're, you're like in the middle of this spoke. Is that that's how I envision it? Is that right? It, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's interesting because uh, I once and I cannot remember who described it to me, but someone said if you think of the spokes of a wheel and you all grab hold of one of your spokes, you're all different functional areas, and you all pull together equally, you get a bigger wheel. Right. If one person pulls lopsided, you got a flat wheel. Right. It won't run. It won't run as well, and so you all need to pull together and pull. And and, and, every, and I think the privacy office really needs to yeah. know. I mean, I think we saw that and with the HP scandal is that the privacy office really wasn't aware, uh, from what I understood, um, of, of all the things that were happening with the board and the decisions that were being made that were, you know, privacy invasive. And it just seems that the privacy officer could really end up being very uncomfortable if they don't know all these things that are going on to advise. Well, I'm a strong believer in cross-functional teams. Uh, I always was, uh, in, even when I was doing global uh, public policy, almost everything impacts somebody else in the company that, that you need to understand, and no one is the best expert in everything. You've got to have the other people there to understand. Um, and having common objectives is very helpful to get everybody, you know, understanding what the goal is and moving forward and having some own individual, you know, office objectives as well. Right. And having the privacy office to me is, is you know, having some influence and having a good relationship like you built, you know, that you could be, you know, talking with people in marketing and get them to buy in or get HR to buy in, all these various aspects. That would seem to me so important uh, for the whole company to build privacy in to the actual structure of the company so that all new policies automatically consider that or at least call you and say, what do you think of this? You know, mm-hmm. Are we exactly. all base? You you know? Know? I once said, uh, if, if, as long as someone picked up the phone and called you, they didn't have to know anything else but other than to call and ask. Right. <laughs> and you're halfway home. I know, I know. And you know what? I think people are starting to get more privacy conscious like that. I know I'm getting phone calls from a lot more companies than as, you know, an independent consultant for companies who really don't, who have legal counsel, but they don't have privacy people who are really are, you know, looking at it from the same perspective. But I know we're getting calls a lot more from companies who are saying, gee, you know, we have our legal counsel, but our legal counsel is a little bit worried. What do you think of this idea in this startup, you know? Uh, and I think that's healthy, that they're starting to build privacy into the actual architecture of the companies. So um, let's talk a little bit about Poneman Institute. So when did you join? You joined in February, is that right? Yes, yes. I retired at uh, year-end 06 from Ford. And, you know, I know Larry thinks you are just wonderful, that you walk on water. And, of course, I think Larry walks on water, so you must walk on water if he thinks you walk on water. Oh, Larry definitely walks on water. Uh, uh, I've never met anyone who knows as much as he does about a topic. Um, and such a good guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a very nice person. He really is. And yeah. so you're really, you know, yeah, they're, they're really fortunate lucky. to have you, and you're fortunate to be with the Poneman Institute. So, yeah, it's a, so great, let's it's a great group. T- yeah, so let's t- tell us what... Uh, what you're going to be, what you are doing, and what your plans are to do with the Poneman Institute. Well, um, <clears throat> one of the things, you know, the Poneman Institute does privacy research, of course, which I know you've talked with him about. And, uh, <clears throat> but we also assist both public and private organizations with privacy education and 
and verification programs. So a lot of my focus really has been in, in, in those two areas. Uh, I haven't really gotten involved in the research side, although that is one one of the big aspects of the Poneman Institute. So sometimes, you know, we help companies do do various things. Maybe you might conduct privacy audits or, you know, provide a privacy assessment for them or something like that. So that's the area that I've mostly been uh, working in. So, um, Shirley, when you do a privacy audit, and this is really healthy for our business people to know that are driving by, and, and many of them maybe have never had a privacy audit. Maybe they've had, a, you know, an accounting audit, you know, something like that. But Or maybe they've looked at security and had a security audit. But why don't you explain really what is the privacy audit and what do you do in a privacy audit? Well, you get to ask a lot of questions about policies and processes, and you do ask about IT security or security measures. You ask about education. You ask about uh, not just like in uh, you know did you know all, it's not just the numbers add up. It's it's show me and how how are you handling people's information? What are you doing on websites? What are you do you use cookies? Do you use uh, web beacons? Uh, uh, what, do you spyware? <laughs> yeah, you use spyware. What are, what are you using? Uh, how do you communicate with uh, your customers? Um, and what are you promising? And how are you delivering on those promises? Uh, there's, there is a lot when you do audits because you can move from, like I said, how you're handling preference management to uh, your IT or what kind of uh, security, what kind of uh, uh, security, IT security you're having, what kind of education programs do you have. Um, and and how are, how are you letting your customers know about preferences? Right. And I think you and I know what preferences mean, but I think we need to tell our audience that the easiest way to understand the preferences is the opt-in and the out-out. Why don't you talk a little bit about that so our people understand what you mean by giving customers preferences? Right. I mean, uh, when you when you make a marketing contact to someone, be it, uh, you know, the classic, of course, is a phone, but with a do-not-call list, uh, they're, they're making a choice of whether or not they want your company to contact them. The opt-in and opt-out is, you know, are you, they giving you explicit permission that they, they want you to give them for the marketing, or that as long as they don't tell you to stop, you can keep going. Right, and uh, that's pretty much the difference. And there's different uh, people who prefer one or the other, and um, and maybe even that changes over the you know the time that they are one of your customers. They could very well change, or it could change from circumstance to circumstance. It could change from um, uh, communications channel to communications channel because, like, yeah, phone calls really get people. That's the one that seems to you know bother people. That an email uh, because it's right there, unlike a, a piece of paper in the mail. Right, you can it's, deal it's with kind it of in not. your face it's, when you get an e- open up your email right. box and you get, you know, hundreds of emails <laughs> like I <Right>. do. <laughs> and and those ones really and so their preference for that may be different. And you know, again, there's not too many people use faxing, but I mean, fax channels clearly uh, emails, websites. Uh, some people want to be anonymous cruisers. They want to go to a website and just look. They don't want cookies or anything else tracking them and, and saying, oh, you know, maybe they don't like it. Other people love it. <laughs> you know, some people love to go on a website and have something pop up and said, hey, it looks like you're interested interested in X. Everybody yeah. else interested in X did this. And you're going, oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that that was available. 
some people may like it and some people may hate it. Yeah, now, I, I hate that, but I, I do like it when I'm at a website that I really like, yeah. an educational website. I really like it when um, there's an opportunity that maybe will pop up and say, would you like to be on our news? Would you right. be uh, uh, subscribe to our newsletter? And, you know, yes, and I usually don't like to get a million newsletters, but recently I've seen some really great websites that I did want to get their newsletters. See, you're and in so, case in point, yeah, aren't you? so I opted in, you know, for it, and but, but not for, you know, uh, the marketing or the advertising, although there are certain things, like I like Chico's, and, and they give me a lot of discounts, so I'll opt in to get their... <laughs> To get their email, but you know it is. It's, it it I like the fact that I have a choice of whether I want to get something. If I have a business relationship, I think most people feel that it's abusive when it's in their face. And I would really hate to get email. I mean, um, text messages on my phone all the time telling me, "Oh, you're a block away from X restaurant. Stop there and get something to eat." I, I don't think I would like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny because it's like, what do you, what are they getting in return, and what that that benefit in return for that marketing contact is so different from person to person. As you said, there's certain ones you may like, and other ones you don't want. And you know, the trick is which ones yeah. are are wanted and useful, and which ones just irritate people. Exactly, and, and that's hard. That's hard to determine. Um, We're speaking with Shirley Durham, who is a certified information privacy professional. And she is the director of programs for the wonderful Poneman Institute. She's a privacy specialist, and she was the privacy director of uh, Ford Motor Company pre- uh, just prior to joining the Poneman Institute. And she's talking to us right now about privacy audits. So let's say um, a mid-sized company asked you to come in and do a privacy audit, and you looked at and found out all of their uh, what, how they use their preferences and the the data that they collected and how they shared it, how they used it, um, how they protect their databases and all this stuff. What do you do then? Do you give them a report with suggestions if they wish to become more privacy conscious? Or h- how would you deal with them? That's basically, I mean, there's a lot of conference calls and sometimes site visits depending on it, but a lot of conference calls. Um, but a lot of it is uh, there's a report back generally to the company uh, and saying, you know, this is what we see and there are um, other <laughs> things that maybe you should uh, definitely consider or some that we just flat out say that, you know, that some things... I, I can't say that everything that I've ever found in the short time I've been here is something unacceptable, like, oh my God, that's just just awful. Right. It's more that it's it's the nuances and uh, this would be better, even, even better if right. you did this. Right, um, and not to say that I haven't, you know, who knows whether or what I'll run across in the future. But so far, it's been mostly uh, it will be better. It, it could be better, and here's the way you could make it better. Now, for a privacy audit, under what conditions would a company want to get a privacy audit? Um, I mean, I think anybody who wants to know where they really stand, um, you know, if it's been all internal. Um, and they think they got a good program. Does somebody else think they have a good program? Right. Um, so those can be cases. Or if you've just had a problem, uh, I think a lot of times people come in after the fact. Yes, after they've been sued. Yeah. <laughs> after they after they've had the blow up, and it's oh 
golly gee. Or they so got clearly the call. The, <laughs> or they got the, the call from one. the Federal Trade Commission. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that happens. And yes. clearly the uh, first case of being proactive and getting ahead of the curve. Well, we know about Choice Point. We had uh, uh, Carol DeBatiste on our show, and she's wonderful. And thank goodness that Choice Point hired her because she has done such great work. But part of their consent decree was to have basically privacy audits and she's i think they've been audited how many times just in the last year quite a few times but they've done great work and really turned uh, around uh, many things that they've been doing so i really honor her and the work that they've done but you're right you know if you get a call from the federal trade commission saying hey we've gotten you know oodles of complaints about the way you share information or or whatever um that would be a time for them to to ask for a privacy audit so that they can show it to some entity and say, look, look what we're doing. You know, we were told to do this and we did it. Is that how it works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a great learning experience for the, for the I think, the, the company uh, involved to have someone from the external look at it with fresh eyes mm-hmm. because uh, sometimes you think you've got the one most wonderful program because, you know, you're, you're the inventor, <laughs> you're the inventors of this program. And you sometimes need somebody else to look at it and say, yeah, well, what about? And they're going... And they miss it. And it's it's yeah. almost like having, you know, having two bookkeepers, you know, one looking over the other person's shoulder. Or sometimes even in my own small office, I mean, we have a mm-hmm. bookkeeper, but there'll be th- times when... I do something or my assistant does something, and then my bookkeeper will say, oh, did you see that you missed this? And we're going, oh, wow, how did we miss that? And it's it's great to have another set of eyes, like you said. So are most of these companies that you've been dealing with in, uh, doing internal audits first? Uh, you mean? Uh, I mean, before they? Before? Uh, yes, almost, yes. That, so far, my experience has been, uh, I'm not sure, you know, that'd be an interesting question for Larry on how many normally are before or after, but almost everything I've seen has been before. People, Companies are concerned about this issue, and they want to get it right. I really do believe that, and they want to know what they have and what, what they're doing and, and how that stacks up. And um, I, think, I think they do. I think they do want to get it. Get yes. it right. Well, I think they do too. I mean, who? I mean, not only. I mean, there's the carrot and the stick. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. they're afraid of the stick, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're concerned about in this age of a lot of privacy violations and you know various laws that they have to comply with, and worried what could happen and how embarrassing it could be if they have a security breach. And then on the other hand, you know, they want to use it. Many companies are starting to say, "You're going to trust us more if we have a." very good privacy program and mm-hmm. that's going to be a value added it's going to be a marketing tool mm-hmm. hopefully more companies are thinking like that mm-hmm. so I, I think that there's really that you know two sides to it so if they if they um, you know they've done their own I mean do you advise companies on how to do your own audit um, I mean there's some tools for doing that like this that you can do um, uh, that, I mean, we probably could. I, I haven't run across it so far, but there's a lot of tools out there that can help a company do an assessment of themselves. Right. Uh, right. You know, some people call it a self-assessment, although I think that goes uh, a lot deeper into looking at lots of stuff. But um, but you could do it, but again, you come back to is the third, the, the independent third party has a different view. Right. And uh, you don't get as much um, 
Well, I think one of the nice things about having uh, companies try their own first is to see if they could flush out some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. And then, and then say, okay, we've done this. Now, wh- wh- what are we missing? Mm-hmm. That's what a good is point. it that we're doing? I know even for me, sometimes when I try and do self-help legal for people, I have, you know, my identity theft survival kit, and in it are legal letters and things to do. And I tell people, you know, do what you can here, and if you get stuck, you know, or if you want somebody to overview it, then give us a call, and mm-hmm. that way you'll start to learn first. And, you know, it's kind of a, a self-help, but then, obviously, I do think it's very important to, to have that third-party audit just to keep yourself, because somebody might be trying to cover up, you know, mm-hmm. and what it, well, some of those figures, and you may know these even better than I do, but some of the figures talking about, for example, um, when there are security breaches, that about 40% are uh, unscrupulous insiders, that's, mm. that's a very high number. Yeah, it's, I know uh, there's a lot of concern that the number is as high as it is, um, and it's not necessarily, well, unscrupulous, I'm not sure they're all unscrupulous, but uh, clearly insiders, whether they're, you know, the oops yes. or uh, the unscrupulous employee, clearly a lot of issues do come from the inside. It's just not everybody outside hacking into your database. Right, right. Um, and that but way if they are doing, yeah, yeah, but if they're doing something wrong and they may not want to make that apparent, whereas the third-party auditor would be able to do that. Well, I think, uh, like I said, third party brings a, a, a different perspective. Now, they don't know your company as well as you know your company, like an right. internal auditor, for example, would. So you could also have an internal audit of your privacy by the auditors, not the operation. Right. So it gives another perspective, and clearly it's not the external look, but it is somebody who's looking at your operational group and saying, hmm, what are they doing? Uh, so if um, if you're if you've built the privacy audit into your internal controls or the privacy, you know, the questions right. that you that you use during an audit, um, then that is a great way to do it because you build the tools right into a system that exists to do other audits anyway. Right. You know, and with the professionals who are used to looking for that kind of issue, even though they, it's normally on the financial side or, you know, something like that, but, but these are the people who can do that and right. they can help you. So you I can mean, make fr- making friends with your audit staff and your accountants accounting staff I think is a great idea. Right, but the accountants don't always know privacy. No, and that's an educational, you know, piece that again you you have to write it in uh, and a- have the questions put into their audits. Right. For right. them to follow. But you're right. I mean they they don't know it as much, you know, that's an opportunity for for further education. Yes, yes. And I think it would be great for each department to have their own little internal privacy audit and then you know after they've you know set their objectives and built into the architecture you know of their next year's audits the privacy goals then it would be great to have an external audit to see if they've been able to do that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so let's talk about uh, some of the challenges that are coming up here um, what are the challenges for consumer privacy? You know, what are the companies facing right now? Oh, gosh, I think you can probably just read the paper. and <laughs> It's like data security. Data, no, uh, data right, security. that's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the removable devices. I mean, it is amazing. And, and, and the new technology. I mean, who would have ever, you, just, just some of these little devices that two years ago nobody knew anything about. I mean, I'm just always blown away, but every day something new is coming along. 
um, some new technology that make our lives easier and just <laughs> increases, you know, the issues of how do you uh, secure that data if it's collecting personal information. I know, and now, you know, with the phones, the phones are going to be everything. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like they pay for, you know, you see the ads and they, they're paying for your, your pop. I mean, yeah. <laughs> It's like, hello, uh, do everything by, by all these devices. And so I think that's going to be a big challenge because, they're, you know, the people are bringing them into the company, too. They have their own phones. You know, they get their, 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 their little cameras on them. And those um, little tiny USB plugs that, that are just, what, the size of your thumbnail practically, and they're on a keychain. Yes. And they can, they can take, you know, mm-hmm. just gigabytes and gigabytes. Of, and if you thought uh, it was easy to lose a diskette or a CD, right, <laughs> add right. that little thing in. Uh, yeah, I think that is a big challenge and can go, is right now. And then I think managing your third-party vendors, so much is being outsourced, uh, you know, data processing, data handling, fulfillment for your marketing campaigns. I mean, there's an awful lot of stuff, um, huge HR databases, you know, that uh, companies might be outsourcing, actually not even large companies i think a lot of small companies who can't do it inside you know right. we don't have we don't have a whole big hr department to do all that so we've got to contract it outside exactly i mean exactly. that happens whether they're big or small and, the, and a lot same. of people use payroll department you know outside payroll people to do Absolutely. all their staffing and yeah and and i think it's scary enough even in our own country and I could tell you stories that I've heard of recently that I've, I've mentioned on the show that are just outrageous. But, but even when you're thinking about when you're talking to somebody for one of the computer companies and they're in Jamaica or they're in Argentina or they're in India, and you just wonder about this sensitive information that you might be giving them if they're d- dealing with your credit card, mm-hmm. you know, and your credit. So you're right. It's It's a... How do we do that? How do, you know, I mean, a contract is a contract. Anybody can violate a contract or breach a contract. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's clearly third-party vendors, I mean, they're companies, too. (laughs) This is the product that they have, you know, and... that they are, that's what they do as a business to manage this. So of course, they have to be aware of it, too, because uh, they they don't want to be in the paper any more than anybody else does. Right. Um, they and they don't, don't want to have to indemnify the company right. if they mess up. Right, or pay the cost that might be associated with that's in your contract. But, you know, I mean, there's more and more being demanded of, of, of vendors, you know, for the right to audit and, and you know, the right to go in and, and look at what they're doing and et cetera. So it's... It's getting tougher, uh, tougher on everybody, and I think that whole how you're you're managing that process is uh, is one of those things that's a really important challenge for companies to get their hands around to understand that what they have and what they can do about it. And I think um, you know Sarbanes Oxley changed uh, the face of business and implementing and even for privacy, it's implementing your internal controls and practices throughout your entire enterprise. And if you're a company of any size or even small companies that have little plant here, a little branch office there, um, fine. Maybe you can get your world headquarters under control, maybe. But what about all those satellites? What about your joint ventures, your joint venture partnerships, your partially owned subsidiaries? How do you get your hands around the enormity of your enterprise? And, and you know what's what's amazing, Shirley, is that you know you have you could have a little mom and pop or organization that does millions of dollars of business on the internet, and maybe they outsource, and maybe they have you know 
just a huge database of sensitive information that could be breached, even mm-hmm. if they're just a little mom and pops, you know, uh, thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is this real. These issues of privacy really go be far beyond just the big companies. Mm-hmm. Lloyd is saying we have about four minutes, and oh. I want I want to be able to ask you because you want to make this fun. I know you want to make privacy fun, so you have developed a privacy game. Could you, in just a few minutes, tell our audience about the privacy game? Sure. It's, it's actually been a heck of a lot of fun working on this. It's, we basically designed, it's an interactive educational tool, and it's really aimed at organizations that want to increase awareness of consumer privacy and data protection in their enterprise. Right now, it's U.S. consumer-based. Uh, we want to expand it later, perhaps, to employees in non-U.S. Uh, countries. But right now, we're, we're, the prototype we're working on is the consumer model. And it basically integrates a board game along with role-playing. And it includes like what we call real-world consumer privacy data protection situations. And it, it covers key privacy principles and responsible information management concepts. And then there's just the plain you know, chance um, that any board game gives you of you know, luck of the draw. Um, right. It, it, uh, it really is uh, basically... Four to five players will be at a board. They get a, they're going to role play, so they each get a description. They might be an IT, the vice president of IT, or the chief privacy officer, or the legal counsel, or a security person, or an IT person. And we actually encourage people to play a different role than the one they normally have. Right, so they could try something else out. Right. It's, 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 you know, because we want people to walk in the shoes of the other players. Part of this is about integrating privacy. And we've heard companies say that they, they really need to, CPOs get it. I mean, the privacy office isn't the one you have to convince. It's, right. it's everybody else. It's the CEO and the marketing managers. Right, and, exactly. Yeah. And so this game was intended to do that. And, and basically, players get assets that they control. They get to use it to purchase things, pay penalties. They have to make tough choices about alternatives because it's always limited assets. You don't have enough money to buy the best of everything. So what are you going to buy? Right, and that's the real life. That's real life, and that's exactly the way it is. And so you make a tough one, and you may, in the game, draw a card that says, okay, that choice wasn't so good. (laughs) And you may win or lose points, uh, depending on how well you did. And it's a team um, game. The the team who accumulates the most points wins. It's not individual team, uh, uh, individual players. It's about the team, because we wanted to encourage... Um, you know, and that's about conspiracy. the company because exactly. the company wins or the company loses. Right, and if you make suboptimal decisions that that maximize your your one functional area to the detriment of the whole, it's going to hurt the whole, and that is the point. And so they'll gain, you know, they'll learn about competing functional priorities and how an individual decision by one office may impact everybody else and everybody else's objectives. So you get to walk in their shoes, and and I think uh, you know we have decks where you might be drawing a wild card that imposes a major incident on you and you got a like a lost laptop that has so many millions of <laughs> consumers socials and names on it um. you have to stop the game and deal with the situation the other teams are continuing to play and making you know they're getting their assets and guess what yeah. real life you're dealing with this yeah and sometimes it may be an employee there's cards for employee oopses and database hacks um, well i'm going to get to play this and you're going to get to play it we're going to play it uh, right. the first uh, sort of public play yeah, in Traverse City, uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I'm so really it's, excited about it's that. It's a great game, and I think uh, we're hoping that, you know, it's it's not about uh, compliance. It's really intended, it's not replacing traditional privacy awareness and compliance education. This is about a supplemental tool. And this is role-playing where people get a real chance to get to see it. And Lloyd is telling me we are running out, we are just about 
This is it. It's time. But okay. I want to thank you, and I'm going to get to play it, and then maybe we can have you come back and, and then tell people about how they can see more about it and maybe get it for to use for training in their own businesses. So that would be great. You're terrific, Shirley. I can't wait to see you very soon. Okay. It's been great talking to you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari and my engineer Lloyd, and I'm the host of Privacy Piracy, which you can listen in on from 5 to 6 p.m. every Wednesday right here at KUCI. You can also visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. You can listen to all of our previous interviews, see our wonderful guests, both prior and coming up. And you can download podcasts and you can write us emails and tell us what kind of privacy issues you're concerned about or you want us to mention. So thank you for joining us and see you next Wednesday. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.